Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to worship and praise you in the house of God. Thank you for the great opportunity and privilege to dedicate a little child, Victoria Grace, to you, Father, for safekeeping and for her future. We thank you for that little life again, and we pray your blessings upon her and her family. We thank you for this morning, and I pray, God, that your heart would speak through my lips, that you might give us the word, Lord, for the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to preach to you for a few moments. Don't leave your home unguarded. Don't leave your home unguarded. It's in keeping with the theme that we've been preaching concerning young people and our families, restoration of our church and our homes and marriages. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 30 in verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Ziklag was a town south of Judah and it was given to David by the Philistines by King Ahash of Gath as a residence while he was in waiting to become king of Israel. And it was at this place that David had his great army of soldiers that he trained. Those that came from Saul's army that were discouraged and depressed and discontented. And David raised up great warriors of God, great, great men of God who became some of the greatest men in the Old Testament. But Ziklag represents a temporary place. It's not somewhere you stay forever. And all of us have Ziklags in our life where the enemy comes and tries to pilfer our lives and tries to uh, hurt our families and invade our homes and our marriages and our children. But remember that Ziklag represents a temporary place. Now for David, it was an interim place. It was the place where he was prophetically before he became king realistically. It was an in-between time. And sometimes in life, we have in-between times where God is trying to work out our destiny and divine providence for our lives to see what direction he can send us and take us. But the Bible says that Ziklag was invaded. It was stripped. It was raided. It was burned down. And the Bible says it was smitten. And what does that word smitten mean? It means, of course, to strike and to hit and to overcome. But it also means applaud. You see, the enemy applauds when he gets a victory in our lives. The enemy applauds when he can hurt one of our children. The enemy applauds when he can destroy a marriage. The enemy applauds when he can hurt a church. That word applause is the enemy gets such accomplishment and such feeling from hurting the children of God. So there's things that I want you to think about this morning. I'm going to give you some verses, but then I'm going to ask you to think about some things. Here's something to think about. 
David got involved with the Philistines while he was waiting to become king. Now, the Philistines were actually enemies, but somehow God prepared a table in the presence of David's enemies to have the Philistines accept David. And he got involved with the Philistines, and Ziklag was given to him, but it was left unguarded, which means Ziklag was unprotected, undefended, unshielded. It was defenseless. It was exposed. It was vulnerable, and it was open to attack. Ziklag was naked and defenseless, which is exactly what the enemy wants to accomplish in our lives. He wants to make us defenseless. So you can't leave home outside of the will of God and expect God to stand with you. You can't leave home outside God's will and expect God to protect you. Because leaving your home unguarded is a work of the flesh that will eventually catch up with you. An unequal yoke will eventually bring pain and repercussions. However, God was going to use this situation not to destroy David, but to correct him. A lot of times we don't like correction. A lot of times parents have a hard time correcting their children. But if we don't correct, they grow up undisciplined. And if God doesn't correct us, we grow up spiritually undisciplined. You see, the problem with Ziklag was that King Saul, who was given a mandate by God to take care of the Amalekites, who invaded Ziklag, never took care of business in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God told him about the spoil. God told him about their leader, Agag, that what he was supposed to do. But Saul didn't obey God. And as a result, down the road, Ziklag became exposed again to the Amalekites and they burned the city down and took all the wives and the sons and everything that David and his men owned. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The message version says this. Your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but that. Yeast, too, is a small thing, but it works its way through a whole batch of bread dough pretty fast. If we allow things to go undone, if we don't correct, if we don't discipline, if we don't man our homes as men and women of God, Ziklag is going to be invaded because your home is Ziklag. And the enemy will come and the enemy will destroy This three-day journey, David and his men were away, was 70 miles away while the enemy came in to a home that was unguarded and took all of his people, all of the soldiers' people, and all of their spoils. 70 miles away from the camp of the Philistines was going to take a trip back to Ziklag now, but it did not bring David joy. He did not know about this. He did not know what's going on. And when he gets there, the Bible says in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 30, Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Anaham the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. What's going on here? These men came to the city. Their wives weren't there. Their sons and daughters weren't there. All their possessions were gone. And the city was burned down. 
and grown men wept. They wept because they realized they left their home unguarded. This was not just a few tears that a few tissues dried up. They wailed. They didn't know where their family was. Think about that for a moment. Think about coming home and everyone's gone. Think about coming home and your family's been kidnapped. Think about coming home and there's no furniture and there's, no, there's nothing in the refrigerator. Every, everything is gone. All, all of your toys, all of your tools, all, all, all of your cars, everything is gone. It's gone. Because the Amalekites came in and took everything that was most precious to you. The person you slept with in your bed. The children that were born from your wife's womb. The children that you raised and invested in. That sat at your table, that slept in your bed. Are now all gone. The first thing that these soldiers and David did was, was to weep at the tragedy that they were taking place. We should weep for our homes being destroyed and children being left behind as victims. We should be personally alarmed at the present state of our country and our churches. The family is the unit of society intended by God. Look at the progression in verse 4. Look how this went down. They went from great emotion. Listen to this. They were weeping and wailing before God, but then the Bible says they had no more power to weep. They shut down. And that's exactly what a lot of us do as men. We shut down and we don't express how we really feel. And when you shut down, you become passive and you have a tendency to give up and say, What's the use? I'm having no effect. No one's listening to me. Can you say amen? amen. Can you help me preach this morning? Amen. They went from great weeping to the place of no more power to weep. And I want to tell you, many men and women are giving up in their homes. We're losing 177 people a day through drug overdose. 177 people are dying of drug overdose. And yet we have people in society saying that we should legalize this and legalize that. Listen, our homes are being destroyed. Sexually transmitted diseases is at an epidemic rate right now. Epidemic in America. There are strains that they have nothing to fight against anymore. Why? Because we're not disciplined and we're not guarding our homes. The Bible said that David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. What happened here? You know what happens? What happens in our homes? The blame game. It's your fault. It's your fault. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You know why this is happening? Because of you. And we turn on each other. We blame each other. Instead of trying to find solutions through Christ, we start blaming We start hurting each other. We start accusing. We bring the finger forth and we say, it's your fault. You did this. doesn't matter. What matters is how do we get our homes back? How do we get our sons and daughters back? How do we get our marriages back? How do we get our spoils and our possessions back? We have to take back people and we have to take back territory. We have to think militarily this morning, spiritually, my friend. It's time to take back what is given to us by God. We cannot no longer allow the enemy to take it from us and just look there and say, okay, what will be will be. Quesada, quesada. No. 
losing. I'm tired of losing the war. I'm tired of losing kids. I'm tired of suicide. I'm tired of overdose. I'm tired of death. And too many are going around saying, I don't care. You know what? You have a problem. It's time to care. Because one day, God forbid, your son will be in a coffin. One day we'll be in a, a funeral home. And that's what we're trying to prevent. Well, we're so full of pride and arrogance. We're so busy doing our thing. Like we're going to live a hundred years. We're going to die one of these days. We're going to die one of these days. We're going to be just put in the ground, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. We're going to leave behind a posterity. And what are we leaving behind? A broken down car on the side of the road with no wheels and an engine? What are we going to leave behind? Some 401k bank account? What are we going to leave behind? Some sports car? What are we going to leave behind? When we should be leaving behind Jesus into the hearts of our children. David was distressed. You know what that means? He shut down and he shut up. He closed his mouth. And the Bible says, look at the possession, the progression of verse 6. He went from being greatly distressed to anger and violence. They wanted to kill David because it's your fault. Hey, fellas, you were with me. We're fighting with the Philistines. We're fighting wars. Let's blame the pastor. Let's blame the husband. Let's blame the wife. Let's blame this one. Oh, that's going to get us somewhere. It's going to get us nowhere. Because we can accuse each other with the pointing of the finger. And all that's going to produce is greater anger and greater emotion. And the Bible says that all the people were grieved. They were bitter. They became bitter. They weren't looking for a solution. They became bitter. And that's what's happening in our families. People are becoming bitter. It's a poison. It's a cancer. And it spreads. Parents become bitter. Children become bitter. Everyone shuts down. No one wants to talk. No one wants to communicate. No one is looking for solutions. And our home is being left unguarded. And when we're not looking, the enemy is coming in. Not through the back door anymore, my friend, but through the front door. He comes in your living room and takes that. He goes in your dining room and he takes that. He goes in your kitchen and he takes your mixer. He goes in your bedroom and he takes that. And the window's open. And he starts to take our kids. And we just stand there and we look at statistics and we say, oh well. They're young. That's what happens. It's different now. The streets are different than when I grew up as a teenager. I said the schools are different than when I grew up in school. I'm telling you, society is different. It's a war out there. It's a war. Like we told the teenagers on Wednesday night, I would not want to be a teenager growing up in this peer-pressured environment that they're growing up in. We have to surround them. We have to encourage them. We have to guard their hearts. We have to show them that we care and that we love them. We've got to do something different than what we've been doing because too many are dying. What did David do? He said, listen, I can sit here and be bitter. And you can blame me and you can stone me and you can kill me. And where is that going to get you? And David said, wait a minute. I'm a man of God. I'm God's man. I'm going to be king. What am I doing here? My wives are gone. My kids are gone. My all my merchandise is gone. You're, I got 600 soldiers uh, with me and all their families are gone. And we're here fighting with each other. And that's what we do. We infight. 
We blame each other. Just like in the Garden of Eden. It's this woman that you gave me, God. Oh, it's the serpent, God. It's the devil's fault. The devil made me do it. No, let's take responsibility and be accountable once again to God. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He was saying, wait a minute, fellas. What are we doing? We've got a giant problem on our hand. Look at the city. Smell the embers. Where's your house? Where's your vineyards? Where's your grapevines? Where's your gardens? You want to stone me? Okay. What's that going to accomplish? It will not get one wife back. It will not get one child back. It will not put one family back together. And our belongings will be gone forever. So what can we do? The Amalekites destroyed Ziklag, took their wives... Now his friends, listen to me. These are David's friends, these enemies, these men that he fed, that came to the cave of Dulam, 400 at one time. These men are ones that he trained, he trained, he fed them, he helped them, he showed them how to be courageous soldiers. Those of your own household will turn on you if you're not careful. I said those of your own household will turn on you if you're not careful. They'll become your enemies. Friends. That's what the Bible said. These, these, these guys, now his friends, who David fed and nourished and cared for and took in, wanted to stone him. You've all been there. You've all had that person, whether it's in your family or your friends, who stabbed you in the back and thought they were getting a great, great high from it. <laughs> Things to think about. Mutiny and murmuring against David as they blamed him for leaving the city defenseless. What about the conflict in our home? What about children whose father or mother abandons them or they're not leaders in their home anymore as a mom and dad? What about the wife whose husband abandons her by not being her spiritual leader or vice versa? What's going on in our homes? There's more divorces in the church now than in the secular world for the first time in the history of our country. And we say we're Christians. We say we go to church. We say we love God. But we're constantly in turmoil and constantly in Chaos. Sad day for David as Saul, Saul drove him away. That's why he was on the run. The Philistines now drove him out. Now his wives were taken. His city was burned. And now his friends turned on him. Nowhere to go. A man without a country. Hmm. Realize all of this happened right before David was about to take the throne as the king of Israel. You know, sometimes the worst times in our life are the times when God wants to bless us. I said, sometimes the worst things happen at the time right before God wants to bless us. You listen. David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, he says, I pray thee. See, David's going to become proactive now. You see, we could just sit there and do nothing. You can hear a preacher. We can walk out the door and we can just do business as it is. Business as usual, as they say in the prison system. Business as usual. Let's not bring up anything negative. Let's not talk anything negative. Let's not try to find a solution. Business as usual. And that's what's happening in our families. Business as usual. We're not taking the bull by the horns. David was sitting there and he was listening to these men grumble and murmur and cry, baby, want to kill him. And he says to the priest, he says, bring me the ephod, E-P-H-O-D, to David. 
And David inquired of the Lord, what was this effort? It was worn by the high priest. It was woven of gold and blue, purple, scarlet, and it was linen threads provided with shoulder pieces and a breast piece of material ornamented with gems and, and gold. It was what the priest wore to inquire from God. God, what should we do? It's a time to pray. It's a time to pray. It's a time to pray. It's a time to become proactive. It's not a time to sit down in our walls and say, oh, so-and-so, hey, this is going to be, let the kid do this, let the parent do that. Let the... No, it's time to pray. It's time to become proactive. We're not in a battle anymore. We're in a full-fledged war. Amen. That's right. A general doesn't tell his army, just sit there and be bitter, plot to kill me. No, become proactive. What's the plan? And David inquired of the Lord. And listen to what he says. And David inquired of the Lord. And he said just specifically. He said, shall I pursue after this troop? He wants God's direction. We don't even ask God for direction. We just go and do things. And then when they blow up in our face. Oh, now it's time to pray. (laughs) He said, Lord, shall I overtake them? And God came back with a quick answer and he said, pursue. What did God tell us a few weeks ago in prophecy? He said, resist. What did God say about rainstorms? Do you know that 16 inches of rain fell in Texas the other day? Do you know how many earthquakes have taken place since that prophetic utterance at that altar a few weeks ago? (laughs) People don't hear. People aren't listening. God is speaking. 16 inches of rain. That's a rainstorm. They said it's a rainstorm. That's not the only one that's going to occur. It's going to be more and more, more and more. As time approaches, it's time to pray. And the Bible says that God told him to pursue. What does that mean? Chase the devil. It's time the church saw the backside of the enemy. Instead of us always seeing the enemy coming toward us, it's time that we see the backside of the enemy run from the church. We're always talking about how the enemy is coming against us. When he should be licking his wounds in a corner somewhere saying, that church, those people, they're praying again. We're tired of being beaten. We're tired of being demoralized. We're tired of being scooted into a corner because of the prayers of the church, the prayers of the people. It should be reversed. We should be having victory, not defeat. We should be having joy, not sadness. We should be winning wars. Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> he said, pursue. Question, do we resign ourselves and give up the fight or do we pursue? Mm-hmm. You see, when you pray, you'll get a promising word from God. I said, when you pray, you'll get a promising word from God. And God told him one word. And that was to pursue. You see, David inquired of the Lord. Think about these things, which is what we should have done, what he should have done in the camp of the Philistines. Was he ashamed of his religion when he was in the camp of the Philistines for 70 miles away? Was he afraid to express himself? Like I said today in the Bible school, we're losing our voice as Christians. We're laying down. We're becoming passive like we're nobodies. We're fading into the background. We're a leaf being thrown into the wind. We're a wave being tossed in the sea like we're nobodies. No, we are somebody. Christ has made us someone. He's given us power. He's given us us. He has given the church the Holy Spirit to speak a voice. I 
respect a, a woman leaving a, a restaurant being heckled because she's a Trump supporter and she happens to be a spokesman for him. I respect that. But I'll tell you what, I sit right there and eat my meal. <laughs> I sit there and eat my meal. I sat in that restaurant. I'm going to pay for that meal. I'm going to tip a waiter or a waitress. I'm going to sit there and eat. Call me what you want. Call me bullheaded. Call me thick-headed. Call me stubborn. No, I have rights. I have civil rights just like anybody else. My God, I have civil rights. And I have rights, praise God, because of the cross, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't want to lay down no more. That's the problem with society. We're afraid to speak our peace. We're afraid to say what's on our mind. We're afraid to speak from our hearts. Because we're afraid that someone's feelings are going to get hurt. My God, if you see me drinking poison and you see poison on the table, please come and tell me. Don't worry about hurting my feelings. My God, I don't want to drink poison. And if I see you drinking poison, I want to be able to say to you, Hey, sissy, don't do that. We're afraid. We're too polite. We wear masks. We're not transparent. We play the game. You talk about fake news, fake faces. Same. Don't you get sick and tired of playing this psychological game, psychological maneuvers, psychological warfare? People think you're dumb as a box of rocks. Listen, you got the gift of discernment. I know when someone comes into my space. I know when they're shooting a the Willy Bobo. Oh, yeah. Amen. They don't like to be called on it. Tired of seeing us lose. It's time to pray. It's time to consult with other Christians. This was a just cause, but still David wanted and needed God's counsel. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. When you're on your own, you're doing your thing, you're going to blow up one of these days. Except the Lord build a house. Those that try to build it work in vain. If you're not building it on the right foundation, it will eventually fail. Oh, things might be good now, but down the road, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems if it's not built on the foundation. Because Jesus said the winds will come, the floods will come, the trials will come. But the house that's built on the rock, it will stand. But the house that's built on sand, that sand is a, a godless home, a godless marriage, a godless relationship. Those relationships will eventually fail. It looks good now. It will fail. Because I know the word of God. And I'm a watchman. And I'm standing in the tower trying to warn the people, just like the prophets in the Old Testament tried to warn the people, but they wouldn't listen. King Josiah, as I preached to you last week, he tried to warn the people. Eventually they went into captivity. They didn't listen. Listen. The Bible says, David went and he took 600 men with him in verse 9. And came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind. But David pursued, and 400 men, 200 stood behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. 200 of his soldiers were so whipped and wiped out and so tired and faint-like. David said, it's okay. He understood. Sometimes it's hard to face situations when you're so tired and weary. He said, you stay here. I'm taking 400 soldiers with me. That brook, Bresor, means cheerful. 
It means a stream. It means to, bri- to bear news or good tidings. It means to publish. What David was saying was this. When God took him over that brook, Besor, B-E-S-O-R, David was saying prophetically, I'm coming to take you home. I'm coming to take you home, wife. Sonny, I'm coming for you. Daughters, I'm coming for you. We're coming for you, Amalekites, and we're going to take back everything that you took from us. We're coming for you. This is good news. We're going to cross this brook. And when we cross this brook, we're going to be cheerful because we know that God said pursue. And we know that God said we will be victorious. We're coming for you. I like that. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. We're going to sniff you out like a sniff dog. We're coming for you. We're going to find out what's in our homes. We're going to find out what needs to be thrown out. We're going to find out what's in the closet. We're going to find out what's in the drawer. We're going to find out what's here and what's over there. We're going to get rid of the leaven that, that, that makes everything messed up. We're going to get rid of all this junk. We're going to get rid of it. We're going to have a bonfire. We're going to burn it. We're going to get rid of that dumb music that tells you to hate your parents. We're going to get rid of that dumb music that tells you to hate God. We're going to get rid of that junk. We're going to burn it. Because it's a disease. It's going to poison you. It's going to destroy you. Listen to the words that are being piped into the minds of young people today. And adults. There's Christian people that are still listening to garbage music. Garbage music. Garbage. Nonsense. David left behind 200 soldiers that were fatigued and overcome with grief. He was understanding. He was compassionate. Concerning their present state, he knew that they were limited. You know, sometimes in our homes, we have to realize the limitations of people when they're under emotional distress. We can't push them. We can't bring them to the point of the river where they're going to drown. We have to become understanding. Listen to me. This is important. We have to understand the emotional state of people that we're living with. We have to realize their limitations Because sometimes if we push too hard, we can push people over the edge. And sometimes you have to tell people to take a breather and sit down and get your strength back. Take it easy for a little bit. And sometimes someone in the family has to take the bull by the horns and say, I got this right now. I know you're going to join me, but right now I just want you to relax so that I can take care of business. David pursued with passion. He pursued with a new vision for the future. He pursued knowing that God said pursue. And when God says pursue and God says resist the devil and he will flee, that's the word of God. Praise God. That's what God said. So listen how divine providence works. After David prayed, look what, look what happens in verse number 11. And they found an Egyptian. Oh my, did he just appear? Was this not God's will? Wait a minute. Who's this fellow? And the Bible says they found him in the field and they brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water. They found him. You know what that means? Divine providence. Divine destiny. Divine intervention. The right place, the right person at the right time. Who are you? Who are you, son? David said. The Bible said in verse 12, they gave him a piece, a, a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins, which he eaten. His spirit came again to him, for he had not eaten bread nor drunk any water for three days and three nights. 
They found this guy on the side of the road. An Egyptian. Seemingly a nobody. And they fed him. Knowing that we're supposed to go pursue the enemy. But David knew the mind of God to stop and smell the roses. Something's happening right here. God is speaking. We're so busy today answering dumb text messages and looking at Facebook. We're, we're, we're so busy being distracted by nonsense that we don't even see the signs that God is trying to give to us in our backyard. We don't even see the landmarks. We don't, we don't see the shining lights and God is going like this and he's saying, hey, I'm trying to talk to you, but you're so busy. I'm trying to get your attention, but so there's something just more important. There's something just much more important right now. I see that. Go ahead. Go answer your phone. Go ahead. Go do your tech. Go ahead. Your son's dying. Your daughter's dying. Your marriage is crumbling. But go ahead. I'm trying to give you some direction. Whoa. I'm too busy, God. God wants to place an Egyptian sometimes in our life. That's fatigued. And David said, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. Oh. Oh. And my master left me. Nice guy. Because three days ago I fell sick. Nice fellow. Served the Amalekite master, served the big chief, served the big guy, and he leaves you in the dust. Oh man, that happens in the workforce, doesn't it? You give your loyalties, you put your time in, you help people make money, look successful, you make them look good. And they don't even know you. <laughs> Isn't that something? They wouldn't even give you a box of raisins. They wouldn't even give you a drink of water. Hear what I'm saying. Happens all the time. And he said, we made an invasion to the south and upon the coast to, toward Judah and to the south of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. Whoa. What did you just say? Servant to the Amalekite chief. We burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you bring me to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Man, did we find a golden nugget right here on the side of the road. You know where they are? Sir, yes, sir. Can you take me on one condition? That you don't give me back to the Amalekite chief and that you don't kill me. David found a diamond in the rough. And when he had brought him down, the Bible says, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth. Listen. Listen, they're applauding right now, those Amalekites. They were eating and drinking and dancing. Hey, look what we did. We got their wives. Hey, look, we got their kids. Hey, come on. Come on. Want some crack? Come on, we got you. They're all dancing down there. They're having a good time. Just like today. Everybody's having a good time. We have no idea what's going on in our present homes and marriages. See, the enemy celebrates too early. It's kind of like a football game. It gets me so mad that this guy is celebrating in the end zone and his team eventually ends up losing. You look like a dope. You look stupid. You look like a moron. What are you celebrating? You're losing. You're down 40 nothing. You just made a touchdown. And you're dancing like you just won the Super Bowl. You know how foolish you look on television? You look foolish. Celebrate after you win. Don't celebrate before. 
Celebrate when you got the enemy down. Celebrate when you got your foot on his neck. Celebrate when you cut the head of Goliath. Or celebrate, praise God, when you see the enemy running from you. That's the time to celebrate. The enemy celebrated too early. When you're in a bind, look for the find. I said, when you're in a bind, look for the find. Look for the Egyptian. You know, sometimes people in the world will help you quicker than people who call themselves Christians. I say that respectfully. Sometimes there's more respect from people in the world than there are from the Christian houses of God. There's some people that you can go as a minister and you know that they're not saved, but they'll respect you. They'll respect you. They know what you stand for. They know what you stand for. And if you ask them to do you a favor, they will do you a favor. They will do you a favor. They might not be where you want them to be spiritually. They'll be respectful. They'll be manly. And if you ask them, they'll say, hey, no problem. I can get that done for you. I can do that for you. And sometimes when you ask people that you think would help you, well, I'm busy. I don't have time. When you're in a bind, look for the find. Listen and look carefully. Help is on the way. Don't trip over it. Sometimes we trip over it. Help is right there. Help is right there. Sometimes I say to people, what can I do to help you? And their response is, I got this. Well, what do you got? Your best thinking got you where you are. What do you mean you got this? What do you got? You got nothing. You're blowing into the wind. It's like those flowers that you go like this. And it blows away. People try to offer people help. I got this. I'm good. That's pride. That's arrogance. We're supposed to help one another. We're supposed to help each other in need. I might be in need tomorrow. I might need your help. I have to say to you, I need help. Can't do this by yourself. Everyone's got gifts. Are you hearing what the preacher's saying? And David, he says, I'm going to beat the odds. You know why? Because God's on my side. It looks like sometimes we're going to be defeated. But God is on our side. Verse 17, and David smote them from the twilight evening until the evening of the next day. Think about that. From sunset to the end of the next day, he whooped them. He beat them. He killed them. He put terror back in their eyes. You know why? Because God said, pursue. God said, resist. God said, fight. And stop being passive and keep your mouth shut. Time to wake up. Listen to the fight. Listen to what it says here. He smote them from the twilight evening until the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man from them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. They got out of dodge, the ones that still remained alive. And they said, this guy's crazy. This guy's out of his mind. 400 soldiers plus David whipped the Amalekites. But that's not the end of the story. You see, that word smite is the same word that the Amalekites used when they had smitten Ziklag. Now David was applauding. That's what the word means. He was applauding because he had God's backing. Look what it says. 
And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Not one woman was violated. Not one child was molested. Not one person was abused. Because David was a man of God. David left his house unguarded for a season. But God was able to take that situation and turn it around and show David, when you trust me, I'll come through for you. And you can beat all odds because God has never lost a game. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drove before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men. Remember those guys that we left here on the other side of the brook Besor? Listen to what David did. Which was so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. When David came near to the people, he saluted his soldiers. But wait a minute, Pastor. Those were 200 men that were fainted were weary and they were tired that were left behind by David's approval. He was the general. But David saluted the people. He respected them. He knew their limitations. He knew there would be a liability in the battle. He knew there would be a liability going to war. And sometimes you have to give a soldier R&R. Sometimes you have to have rest and recuperation. And sometimes as Christians, we have to help each other take a little bit of R&R. You can't have the same people fighting on the front lines. You can't have the same people praying and fasting all the time on the front lines. You have to look out the window and open the window and see the cavalry coming and say, okay, relief is on the way. Relief is on the way. And David understood their limitations. And look what he did. Then answered all the wicked men. Listen, listen to what happened. And men of Belial, of those that went with David. These are some of his soldiers that helped him win the battle. Now they were going to be greedy. Why were they going to be greedy? They said, because they went not with us, we will not give them of the spoil that we recovered. Save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. And then David said, you shall not do so, my brethren, with which the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as part as this goes down to the battle, David was saying this, we will share the spoils with them, even though they didn't come to us with battle. Look who these people were. These were turncoats, wicked men and men of Belial, that went with David. Went where? To fight. And they didn't think the men that stayed behind, that David gave approval to stay behind, deserved the reward. But as you read on, David ended up rewarding a lot of people. Do you know why? Because he was happy to get his family back. He was happy to get children back. He was happy to get his spoils back. He was happy for his men. He was happy. 
and he blessed a whole lot of people. He was generous and blessed a whole lot of people. You know when you're happy in the Lord, you have a tendency to bless other people. I said when you're happy in the Lord, you have a tendency to want to bless people because you're happy. When people come into your home, you want to feed them, give them drink. You want them to be comfortable. You want them to go home with something because you're happy of what God has done. I want to close. God's in the recovery business. I said he's in the recovery business. And he desires to reconcile and to restore. God is generous to us and expects us to share his generosity. Beware of men of Belial in your midst. Who are they? Wicked, worthless, mean-spirited, those who are jealous and greedy, those who don't share, those that don't express the generous heart for God, those that are for themselves, those who are selfish, those that have too much to say, those who have critical spirits, Absalom spirit. They didn't want David to reward others with the spoil from the Amalekites. Wheat and tares still grow together in our churches across America. And we're seeing that more and more in our churches where the wheat and the tares are now being separated. David was so happy to get his family back that he shared with those far and near. He was a blessing. He didn't wait to bless but he blessed immediately. Those that were kind to David and his men were rewarded with generosity. Don't forget your friends. This is the message. Don't forget your friends. Don't forget to be generous as David was. David was a politician. Don't make no mistake about it. He was the greatest general in the Bible. But David was a politician and he knew how to practice public relations. Kind of reminds me of my dad. My dad was no church-going man. My dad found the Lord in the last year of his life. And he really changed. But my dad was so respected. He worked on the waterfront as a longshoreman all of his life. Owners of nightclubs would call my dad, Eddie, the Brass Rail, different nightclubs that I remember when I was a kid. Eddie, can you come and fix something for me? My dad knew a lot of people. He knew mob people. He knew business people. He knew people in the community. He knew people in the city. And I always wondered about my father. How did he gain such respect? My dad would walk with overalls into the best nightclubs in New York City in overalls and be greeted and embraced by owners. Captains of ships, we call my father. He worked on the docks. And I always wondered, I was a kid, how did my dad know all these people? How did my dad get such respect? You know why? During the war, he put the mob people to work on the docks. During the war, he brought food home to feed people in the neighborhoods. Yeah, I watched him. He wasn't a church man. Tender heart, tough though, longshoreman. But a man that was respected by other people. I watched it. And he didn't use it. He was a generous man. 
And he taught me something. How to treat people. How to bless people. How to be generous. I used to watch him in restaurants. I used to watch him call the waitress over. He used to teach us manners. He taught us how to eat. He taught us where the napkin went. He taught us all that. Because he wanted respect. He wanted his name not to be sullied. He called the waitress over and said, young lady, don't rush me. This is Mr. Coleman. I'm here to eat. I take my time. I'll treat you well. Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Coleman. I watched him. Today, what are we learning? Are we being respected? Because we treat people right. Are we being respected? Because we bless people. We're generous toward people. We show kindness and favor to people. My dad taught me that as a little boy. I didn't get everything that he was trying to teach me until I was older. I got it later when I got married and had children. And by the time I was 25, I looked back on my teenage years when I thought my dad was a dinosaur. And I said, Pop was right. He was right about a lot of things that he didn't get as a youngster. You listen to me as I close. We as parents are trying our best to keep our kids in the corral. We as a church, I know we are trying our best to keep our kids in the corral. I know kids are young. I know kids are tempting. I know there's temptations out there. And like I told the kids in this church on Wednesday, and I've told kids for years, no matter what you do, good, bad, or indifferent, the pastor of this church will always have that door open for you if you ever need help. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We'll never say that you can't come here. We'll never say that you don't belong here. And we'll do everything in our power to be generous to you, to help you, and to love you, and not say, I told you so. But no one thing about us as adults. We're not perfect. And we don't walk on water. And we're not trying to say we do. And we screwed up a lot when we were young. So we're not telling you that we didn't live a tarnished life. We did. We're sinners saved by grace. But there's one thing that we'd like for you to look at. The sincerity of our hearts and the love that we have for you. Because you are our kids. I know you have parents. But these are church kids. And like I told Marissa, to me that baby that we dedicated today, that's your baby. That's your family's baby. That's also a church baby. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we're proud to have church babies here. God bless you and thank you for listening.